You are listening to the Biz Rock Podcast with Dr. Vince Bantu and sponsored by the Jude 3 Project. We are so thankful for those who support the mission and vision of the Jude 3 Project to help us produce content such as the Biz Rock Podcast. If you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you could do so by going to jude3project.org and hitting that donate tab. You can either give by mail or give online. Thank you so much to our supporters. We appreciate you and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Will you see uh, outright rejection and clashing and so forth, right? It's always on the level of doctrine and theological confession, right? In, in other words, for me, it's it, 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 it's on the level of kind of a theopolitic, if you will, right? A theological politic, which is attempting, right, to create and preserve and maintain a distinctive religious identity vis-a-vis of people. So when that is occurring, that's when you see tension, <laughs> right? That's when you see tension. Well, hello, everybody. What's good? Uh, welcome to the Jew 3 Project. My name is Vince Bantu, and welcome to the Bisrot Podcast, where we are exploring issues and questions pertinent to early African Christianity. Uh, and uh, we are t- talking about a lot of different topics and a lot of different um, uh, you know, issues that are relevant to uh, the early church in the African continent in the pre-colonial period. Uh, and today, we have a special guest and we are going to be exploring the topic of the relationship between early African Christianity and traditional African religions. Uh, and we're gonna be addressing uh, various questions, but under kind of the umbrella of uh, basically the, the larger question of, did early African Christianity um, accept or embrace uh, traditional African religions? And so we're gonna get into it, uh, into a lot of different aspects <clears throat> question. Um, but now uh, I am uh, pleased to introduce to all of you our guest co-speaker today, our conversation partner, and our guest for today. Uh, and we are now going to welcome Dr. Salim Faji uh, along with us. And And it is my pleasure to introduce uh, him to you today. And I would just like to tell you a little bit about uh, Dr. Faraji as he joins us uh, in the conversation today. Uh, Dr. Salim Faraji is Professor and former chair of Africana Studies at California State University, Dominguez Hills. He's also the founding executive director of the Master of Arts in International Studies Africa program at Concordia University, Irvine in Ghana, West Africa. He completed his Master of Divinity at the Claremont School of Theology and MA and PhD at Claremont Graduate University. He's a member of the International Society for Nubian Studies and specializes in early Christian history, Africana and Africanist historiography, Coptic studies, and the Karamanapatan, Meroitic, and medieval periods of Nubian history. He has presented papers on Nubian Christianity at the 11th International Conference for Meroitic Studies in Vienna, Austria, and the 12th and 13th International Conferences for Nubian Studies at the British Museum and the Université de Naucatzel, Switzerland respectively. More recently, Dr. Faraji presented the ascendancy of the Kushite kingdom of Kerma in the post-Middle Kingdom era, revisiting the second intermediate period of ancient Egypt 
at the 14th International Conference for Nubian Studies at the University of Paris Sorbonne Louvre Museum. Dr. Farazi is also a founding member of the Nubian Language Society and one of a handful of Nubialists in the United States and the only Africana Studies scholar in the country who is also a Coptic Studies specialist. Professor Farazi is a contributor to the book Romans, Barbarians, and the Transformation of the Roman World, the Encyclopedia of African Religion, and the Oxford Dictionary of African Biography, and the author of the book The Roots of Nubian Christianity Uncovered, The Triumph of the Last Pharaoh. Dr. Farazi has traveled and worked extensively on the African continent in such nations as Ghana, Burkina Faso, Egypt, Ethiopia, and Namibia as both a scholar and activist humanitarian. He has served as an external reviewer for the PhD in management science at the Harold Pupkowitz Graduate School of Business in the Namibia University of Science and Technology. He also presents a ministerial background and has served in the United Methodist and Unitarian Universalist churches. As a theological pluralist and interfaith practitioner, he is currently an ordained minister in the African Methodist Episcopal Church and a practicing African traditional priest initiate who has been initiated in both the Akan traditions of Ghana, West Africa, and ancient Egyptian religious practice via the Alsar Asset Society and the House of Amen. And so uh, it is a great pleasure, uh, distinct honor to be in dialogue <clears throat> with you, Dr. Faraji. Welcome, uh, and thank you so much for being here today, brother. Definitely, and Vince, thank you for the uh, invitation. Thank you for the opportunity. We have an opportunity to um, talk live and engage, and in, in, uh, I'm sure will be a stimulating dialogue um, for the listening audience. And uh, of course, you and I, uh, we have a lot in common as well in terms of uh, our scholarship, our research interests, and so forth. So um, I'm, I'm excited and, and pleased to be here this afternoon. Oh, definitely. Well, and, and as uh, I was again just kind of reading through your uh, your biography to everybody. I was just even more reminded again, as you said, of how much we have in common, but also uh, how how privileged we are to have you here today to discuss this topic, both from your academic, uh, but also your personal and religious affiliations and and uh, and experience. Um, you know, to really get into this topic on the the nature of the relationship. Uh, in early in ancient Africa during the ancient and medieval periods between uh, African expressions of Christianity and also traditional African religions uh, in itself those categories are, uh, are it would be a, a load of a conversation in and of itself <laughs> we might get into some of that but but just to start us off and, and we'll you know we'll both kind of dialogue with some of this um, and so uh, um, you know I'll be I'll be the host but also I'll you know I'll, I'll chime in a little bit um, <laughs> Uh, the, the first question for both of us, really, is if we can begin, um, and I'll ask maybe if you could, uh, you can go first, and uh, and then I can follow up with any comments on uh, just to set the stage uh, as we think about um, the relationship between African Christianity and African traditional religions. Maybe we could just start with some general uh, descriptions of what that dynamic was like. You know, what was the nature of the relationship between these these movements, uh, especially in the pre-colonial or pre-fifteenth century. Uh, period. Yeah, <clears throat> certainly. Um, I want to begin because uh, in my book, The Roots of Nubian Christianity Uncovered, um, what, I, what I employ is a theoretical paradigm that you very rarely see in the study of early African Christianity, right? And for those who, who've engaged, engaged my book, you know, and, and my area is, is in Coptic Christianity, of course, in Egypt as well as the Nubian church um, and, and, and what is now in the Sudan. 
And then uh, I also have some knowledge of, uh, of Aksum, right? And, and the Christianity that, that emerged there. But my area of specialization in terms of early African Christianity is really the Coptic Orthodox Church and, and the Nubian Church. And really what, what, what got me interested is that, you know, I was actually in Washington, DC at Howard Divinity School um, in the mid 90s, 94 to 95. And, and I ended up transferring to Claremont School of Theology in Southern California. And so I used to frequent uh, the bookstore of CUA, right? Catholic University of America, where, where, where you did your, uh, did, did your work and so forth. And uh, I came across a book and this book had just come out. This might've been 94 uh, called uh, Ancient Christian Magic, Coptic Texts of Ritual Power. Ancient Christian Magic, Coptic Texts of Ritual Power. And these, at that time, this is the mid nineties, this text uh, and, and, the, and the ancient Coptic text that it had translated, right, was fascinating to me. It was fascinating to me because it not only helped me get an insight into what was going on uh, uh, on the ground among the Christians, right? Because oftentimes there's a theological confession, right, or confession. Right. And then my work also looks at, well, what are people doing beyond their doctrinal and theological confessions? In other words, what are people doing on the ground? Right. That that allows me to employ an anthropological and archaeological analysis. Right. Alongside a theological. Right. As a as a historian. But what I'm getting at is that these Coptic magical texts reveal an engagement between ancient Egyptian religion in Coptic Christianity, mm-hmm, as the Coptic mm-hmm. church was emerging, right, from 3,000 years or more of classical Quranic religion and spirituality and all of the deities which they called the Netaru in ancient Egypt, right, also mm-hmm. in ancient Kemet. And so in these texts, we saw that there was a continuity between um, traditional ritual in ancient Egypt and ritual and healing uh, in Coptic monasteries. Um, it was a continuity between, uh, uh, let's say, uh, uh, the, the, the house of life, her unk, right? That part of the temple in ancient Egypt and the scriptorium. In other words, the center of the scribes in the monastery, right? We saw that there was a continuity. We saw that there was an invocation of, of uh, traditional deities like Osiris and Isis and Horus alongside Jesus, Mary, uh, 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 and so forth. So and so this this you know this is fascinating to me. And and the the editors of this book and, and one of them I studied Coptic with, um, Richard Smith was one of the um, one of the um, contributing uh, authors and editors to this book. I ended up moving to California and I studied Coptic with him uh, mm-hmm. in in Claremont. And so what they were saying is is that this look early. Egyptian Christianity looked a lot like, this is what they're saying. They, they didn't say this, but this is my summary, right? Mm-hmm. It looked like traditional popular religion that you see in other cultures around the world, in Africa, Asia, and the Americas. So they were saying this looks a lot like, uh, let's say uh, in the African diaspora, this looks a lot like Santeria, which is a synthesis mm-hmm. of Yoruba and, and, and Catholic traditions, right? Or it looks a lot like Candoble in Brazil, right? Mm-hmm. Or it looks mm-hmm. a lot like in Haiti, right? Again, which is the synthesis of African traditional religions and either Spanish Catholicism, uh, Portuguese and French Catholicism, and so forth. They're saying this stuff looks a lot like that. And so this mm-hmm. was amazing 
And, and, but it had me step back and not just reflect on early uh, African Christianity, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, also my own experience growing up in an African-American Baptist church in West mm-hmm. Philadelphia, mm-hmm. right? What I, what I did in my book is I said, you know what? Traditional early church historians, you all are missing the cultural dynamics of indigenous religion and its encounter with Christianity because all you want to do is label it under the nomenclature or the rubric of paganism. Mm-hmm. And when you homogenize the diversity of these practices under the rubric of paganism, you miss right the encounter and you miss their influence and how they shape and also are shaped by Christianity when it mer- emerges right in, in, in the Nile Valley. And so I really didn't have to go far. Sure, I, I, I and I, and I've, I've visited Egypt and I've been to the Coptic Museum in Cairo and, mm-hmm. and uh, director of the Coptic Museum actually mm-hmm. my alma mater at Claremont, Dr. Goddard Gabra, um, mm-hmm. yeah. specialist, right, um, mm-hmm. in the world and in the country and so forth. And so, but I didn't even have to go to the Coptic Museum in Cairo because the church that I grew up in, an African American Black Baptist church. Mm-hmm. All of the members of my church were migrants from the deep south, mm-hmm. Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, Alabama, and Mississippi. And what they brought with them was this rural African-American culture and spirituality, right? Mm-hmm. The dance, the humming, the prayer, and so forth. This was a distinctive tradition practice from mainstream Euro-American and evangelical Christianity, right? Mm-hmm. And so in, in my church, uh, what, I, what I witnessed growing up as a child, and I later discovered that one scholar, Mikhail Sobal, right, who, who calls it the Afro-Baptist face, right? He mm-hmm. says, uh, uh, Black Baptist churches was a result of the encounter of the African sacred cosmos from West Africa and evangelical Christianity in America. And so I grew, I grew up with that and I, I experienced that, right? And mm-hmm. so many of us, even as we, even as we recount um, black church history in the United States, African-American church history, right? Mm-hmm. We all forget that the majority, not all, because there was some uh, uh, Muslim, significant Muslim community, and there was mm-hmm. a Christian communities as well, right? Mm-hmm. Especially mm-hmm. Angola and the Congo. But mm-hmm. the of the culture, right, was still steeped in uh, African traditional religions, right? Mm-hmm. So while I'm in seminary, I wrote uh, a, a paper on the first African Baptist church, right, which is the oldest uh, uh, church established by Black people, people of African descent in the United States, right? Savannah, mm-hmm. Georgia, Yamakura, mm-hmm. South Carolina, right? Mm-hmm. And that church wrote a covenant Right? They wrote a communal agreement about how they live out the Christian faith, right? The covenant mm-hmm. is the oldest in terms of black church history, right? I think 1776, 1777. This is before the founding of uh, the AME church, Richard Allen, right? The oldest denomination. And mm-hmm. There's indictments against um, sacrifice, mm. against eating uh, food, that's offered to quote unquote idols, mm-hmm. right? There's indictments against uh, uh, even tasting the blood 
of a of a of a fowl, right? That has been sacrificed for for quote unquote idols or deities and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Someone might say, well, Dr. Farage, Brother Salim, of course that church would have such a covenant, right? But mm-hmm. the question that I have is why the need for those indictments in that church? In other words, why did that church have to develop a covenant where they forbid mm-hmm. a, a file or animals that have been sacrificed mm-hmm. even to the deities and so forth, right? Those indictments, what we discovered, were, were in this church because the majority of the members, right, were people who were still practicing these mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And so now that you're coming into the Baptist church, right, you could no longer do that. So, so in other mm-hmm. words, the, the, the covenant was called the Anabaptist Covenant, First African Baptist Church, 1777, right? Mm-hmm. The covenant basically was being directed toward the community at the church, mm-hmm. right? In the majority of the population, as we know from Joseph Holloway, Africanisms in America, right? Um, other scholars, uh, Michael Gomez, correct, right? Mm-hmm. Work African diaspora and so forth, that the majority of the Africans, especially in South Carolina, right? Coming from uh, what is now Southwest Africa, Congo, mm-hmm. and so forth, right? And they were still engaged um, in the indigenous practices. So mm-hmm. in Carolina, in Maryland, in Georgia, in Mississippi, in Alabama, right? Uh, uh, the earliest religious practice, even Du Bois says this in The Souls of Black Folk, right? Mm-hmm. The Souls of Black Folk. He says the earliest uh, religion of African-Americans was an amalgamation of various African traditional religions, right? Uh, du Bois says that early on. And so African-American Christianity Emerges out of this matrix of African traditional religion and spirituality from Senegambia all the way to uh, Angola. And it served as the foundation of the Black church. Probably the most prominent um, uh, spiritual practice that laid the foundation for all Black worship was the so called ring shout. Right? Mm-hmm. Sterling mm-hmm. talked about this. Uh, Jason R. Young, right? His latest work on uh, Congolese religion in the Atlantic in both Congo as well as uh, the American South, right? And so the ring shout was a counterclockwise holy dance that you use to engage and pray, right? So on the, among the Akan people, right, uh, that circle was called uh, Akon, Akon, mm-hmm. right? The Yoruba call it Bembe, right? Uh, in Congo, they call it Kalunga, right? Mm-hmm. Virtual circle. And in this circle, you dance, you pray, you invite the spirits to come possess you. So the healing takes place, prophecy takes place, right? So you all see where I'm right? So mm-hmm. the people are already predisposed to healing circles, mm-hmm. healing dance, right? Already predisposed to invocation of the spirits and so forth, to prophesy and heal and so forth, right? Um, not only that, already predisposed to uh, ritual healing through water. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, baptism is looking like to them like whoa uh, uh, these, you know what they're doing right these churches mm-hmm. the same thing we were doing back home with with the, the similarities between christian baptism and the way spiritual baths are used in african traditional cultures right and so mm-hmm. having had this experience as a child and growing up and then studying it as a scholar i took this model 
as well as others around the African diaspora, right? And I stuck it, if you will, right? I stuck it into Egypt and I stuck mm -hmm. it into Sudan. And I was mm -hmm. like, whoa, look what I'm seeing here. Mm -hmm. This is fascinating. Mm -hmm. What am I seeing, right? I'm seeing these two worldviews synergistically give birth in terms of Christianity to a distinct form of uh, uh, Christianity, particular, uh, particularly in Egypt, right? Mm -hmm. in so in 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 the Sudan, they kept they kept matrilineal succession, right? Which was a carryover from Kush, Meroe, right? The Kandakis. In fact, she's mentioned in Acts chapter eight, right? Uh, uh, the Kandaki. Right, so the whole line of matrilineal succession and queen mothers, and so once once uh, uh, the Sudan or Nubia converts to Christianity, they maintain that. They also maintain some semblance of divine kingship as well, right? In the in the role of of, yeah, of yeah. king and so forth, right? Yeah, and yeah. other indigenous cultural practices, and so yeah. it's really difficult to understand early Christianity in the Nile Valley in particular, but it's also true for uh, North Africa as well, without understanding the indigenous context, Christianity emerged. Hmm. And, and what, what I demonstrate that is not only in late antiquity or early Christianity in Africa, but it's also in Haiti, Panama, right? The American South, Brazil, we see this, and, and, and it's not only among African people, right? Hmm. I, and what I have learned from my Latino students and Mexican-American students is unbelievable, right? Mm. The indigenous traditions of the Mayan and the Aztec and the Coltec and the Mictec, right? I, I had students come to me after class and say, you know, Dr. Faraji, we still do this. Mm. Mm. She taught me Nahuatl, the indigenous language of, the, of, 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 the, of, the, uh, of those people. Mm. Right? continue to maintain the spiritual traditions, very similar to African traditional religion, yet they're staunch Roman Catholics. Mm -hmm. They're staunch Roman Catholics. Mm -hmm. They've maintained these indigenous, uh, indigenous spiritual practices and traditions and so forth. So much of my work has looked at, um, you know, this, this, this dynamic. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. There was still conflict, you know, even in the, 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 the hagiography, right, the stories of monks of, mm -hmm. of from Alexandria to Aswan and so forth, right, the stories of Besa and Shanuta destroying shrines, right, destroying mm -hmm. things and, and, and things of that nature, or, or speaking against uh, um, the, the indigenous tradition and so forth, and, and certainly that was the case, um, mm -hmm. especially, see, what and I said this before, theologically and doctrinally, it's not always the same as theologically and archaeologically. Mm -hmm. My own grandmother who, who passed in 2010, she was 99, mm -hmm. South Georgia, Baptist deaconess, right? Um, Jesus is Lord. Mm -hmm. And so, but, but I'm trying to figure out why my grandmother's saying, that fly that's flying around, that's not a fly. That's the spirit of one of our ancestors. I'm like, well, mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. now, doctrinally, she's saying, mm -hmm. Jesus is Lord. Mm -hmm. Anyway, right? 
But on the level of culture, she's talking about, you know, spirits, spirits coming, uh, honing around and flies. Mm-hmm. Or uh, uh, when my grandfather, uh, when he passed, I never forget this. My grand, I always share this story. My grandfather passed. You know, he had his chair, right? You know, you go into your grandparents' house and there's a, or your uncles, aunties, even your parents, right? It may be a special chair for your father or your mother, and no one else sits in that chair. So my mm-hmm. grandfather had his chair. So after he passed, right? Look at me. I don't know. I, I was in my early twenties, right? I go sit in his chair, right? One of my uncles stepped to me, right? My one of my father's older brothers, like, boy. <laughs> You, you, so you think you worthy to sit in that chair, right? Mm-hmm. Boy, you get your way up out of that chair, right? <laughs> get up out of that chair. Uh, you know why? That's the chair of the ancestor, right? Or if um, Zakan cultural symbolism, that chair was functioning similarly as a, a stool, an ancestral stool, right? Mm-hmm. So you hadn't matured enough. You hadn't lived long enough. You hadn't been through enough. Right, mm-hmm. he's sitting in the chair of the patriarch of the family, the ancestor of the family, right? And I mean, even our understanding of thunder and lightning, right? Old school African American culture, right? You know, mm-hmm. turn, shut everything down. Uh, um, um, go give me that that piece of aloe there. Go give me that tobacco so I can spit on it, right? Let me go cut this tree bark off the tree. <laughs> we, we don't need no medicine. You're gonna drink the you're gonna drink the the uh, uh, the water that I boil from this tree bark. Right, and so what, what what I'm saying is is even beyond what we consider explicitly religious, right? Even in the domain of health, culinary practices, right? You, you follow me? Health, culinary practices, um, medicinal practice, of course, um, social governance, social organization, all of that is traditional culture as well, right? So it's it's not only what we call the explicitly religious in, in the Western world. Right. It's also child rearing. It's also when you conceive a baby, how you have a baby, the naming ceremony, the outpouring of a child. Right. When you get married. Right. In, 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 in African cultures and so forth. When it's time to make the transition to elderhood. Mm-hmm. These are the these are things that, are, that may not be explicitly, quote unquote, religious, but they still inform. The, the lifestyle and practices of, of, of various African peoples. And so the people bring this into their practice of uh, Christianity, right? Mm-hmm. Well, when, 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 when they convert and accept Christianity and so forth. And so, you know, most of my work has been looking at this, mm-hmm. this dynamic in antiquity as well as the, the, uh, the contemporary African diaspora. But yeah, um, uh, brother, uh, brother Salim uh, and uh, Dr. Ferris, you, you made some great points there, uh, and I really actually agree, uh, you know, with pretty much you know everything you said. Well, actually, I, actually, I agree with uh, yeah most of what you said. Uh, and uh, I mean, as a historian and as 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 fellow historians of early African Christianity, uh, I think you bring out some great points. Um, I, I think maybe the only thing I would add to it is maybe just that uh, maybe there's some. There's some other aspects or another side to the coin that that we could we can look at as well, um, because you know when I think about this question of like, you know, yeah, what, what was the nature of the relationship between Christianity and early African religion? Uh, I, I kind of I, I see two major themes uh, in, in the relationship. And um, 
you know, one of them is is one that I that you brought out that I very much agree with, which is that when you look at the material evidence, uh, much of the material evidence of the lived everyday person's experience, we have a lot of evidence for um, whatever words you want to use to call it. Some people call it syncretism. Some people call it pluralism. Uh, some mm -hmm. people synthesis, whatever the case may be, uh, whatever word you want to use for it, mm -hmm. use examples of Egyptians, of North Africans in, you know, Numidia, uh, in Nubia, in Axum. You see a lot of examples in the pre-colonial period of Africans uh, praying to Jesus and then praying to other names, to other spirits that they, mm -hmm. that before Christianity. Uh, mm -hmm. And have to take that into account of what the lived experience looked like. You know, you also think about the fact that uh, that mummification was still going on in Egypt, mm -hmm. even Christian period, and people mm -hmm. were burying the dead for the afterlife. And mm -hmm. have uh, I mean, one book that I I found very interesting, more semi recent work, uh, you know that uh, that some of the listeners might be interested in in this topic is uh, David Frankfurter's new book, Christianizing Egypt. And, mm -hmm. and that's, I think that's a great book that kind of talks about. He, he was one of my mentors, too. <laughs> he was, yeah. So, you know, and and I mean, uh, you know, uh, oftentimes the narrative is that like that in Egypt, for example, if we just focus on Egypt, that when when Christianity became dominant, uh, you know, especially after the conversion of Constantine, because it was in the Roman Empire and, you know, going forward uh, in the late fourth century, uh, you know, under the Theodosian code, like Christianity became the power kind of religion. Uh, and there was all these tensions between so-called paganism or, you know, traditional uh, religion. And probably the one of the best, uh, most visceral examples of the tension uh, was the murder of Hypatia and the destruction mm -hmm. of the Serapian Temple in Alexandria, mm -hmm. uh, fifth century. And so we see that there was, you know, some tension going on, as you mentioned. Um, but at, at the same time, like on the lived experience, uh, there were a lot of people who were still embracing. So I love how Frankfurter's book also shows that it's not like it's not like traditional religion disappeared uh, after after Christianity became dominant. Or even if we go into independent African kingdoms like in Nubia or in Axum, which were not in the Roman Empire and uh, embraced Christianity freely as the national religion, Ethiopia or Axum in the fourth century. And then Nubia, as your book points out, uh, in the fifth century mm -hmm. uh, or certainly in the sixth century when the. Mm -hmm. The Christological debates were going on, and uh, mm -hmm. this is account comes into it. So, so early Nubia, the various kingdoms of Nubia and and Axum embraced Christianity freely uh, as their national religion. But again, even when those became uh, so-called Christianized, it's not like traditional uh, Axumite religion disappeared, or it's not like traditional Kushite or Nubian religion disappeared. But they they still were practiced, and and honestly, to me, it seems like. Uh, it seems like you had kind of three real strands, and I think you hit on one of them very well, uh, which is that there's clear evidence of people who were just who saw no conflict between their traditional religion and Christianity. They just mm -hmm. they came together, and in, in many ways, that's how ancient religion worked. I mean, it wasn't like there was a, a conflict, like when the Romans, when the, when the Ptolemies came in, and the Greeks, and then the Romans came in. You know, it's like, yeah, we can pray to Isis and we can pray to Serapis. It's not. <laughs> You know, so I think that's one strand, at least how I would frame it. Uh, that's one strand of how early African uh, people understood the relationship between Christianity and, um, and their traditional religion is that they just completely went together. Uh, there's another strand that I think you briefly mentioned, but I think also could sh should merit a little bit more emphasis because it's it's massively present 
in the uh, in the written sources. And that's probably the exact opposite <laughs> tendency, which is to see no compatibility between Christianity and traditional religion. And that's that's what we get. That's the sense we get from the monks and from the bishops and from the patriarchs and you know, like people like Pacomius and Shenouda, or in Axum, people like uh, uh, Yared or Zara Yacob or. Mm -hmm. Hymenode, when Tekla Hymenode goes into Damut, into the kingdom of Damut, uh, he just completely uh, sees everything that's traditional about their religion as completely wicked and, and converts uh, the king, according to his 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 godel, converts them mm -hmm. to Christianity and traditional religion, according to his account, is wiped out. Whether or not that's true, his biography or his godel is seeing traditional religion as, as an evil thing. So we have that. Uh, which and I and I and I, I love the example you gave of early African American Christianity uh, in the um, in uh, Georgia and South Carolina because there's almost like the archaeological evidence is showing a, a synthesis of practice on the everyday level, but then you have kind of creedal statements from church leadership that's kind of on the other extreme that's saying no no, no religion's bad, stay away mm -hmm. from it. And, and, and so I think that's what we get is in the same way. That's what we get from the Coptic and the Ge'ez uh, and even some of the the, the little bit of, of, of old Nubian manuscripts that survived, that there's this kind of opposite perspective that comes from the leadership. And then I think there's a third perspective um, that, that, that we don't see as much of, um, but I think that's where there's more of kind of a... Um, a uh, so a middle ground, if you will, where there's kind of a, a selective among African Christians, a, a selective amount of incorporation of, of traditional African religion, but also kind of some rejection of it, like at the same time uh, is, is kind of how I would um, kind of like see it. And so that kind of leads into our, our next question. Um, which I'll, I'll kind of respond to, and then I'd love your thoughts on any any anything that I just shared, or you know what I would what I'm about to say, because I think that that would lead into very well just a, a more of a, a methodological or theoretical question, which is like um, basically just to get right down to it: Is Christianity uh, compatible with traditional African religions? Like that, you know, that's 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 I think at the heart of our historical investigation, especially for many of our listeners. And I would say, and I'd love your thoughts on it as well. I would say uh, my answer to that question would be yes and no uh, mm -hmm. question, um, you know, and, and cause I am, you know, a, uh, a Christian or I, I, you know, I like to use the Ethiopic uh, word Nasrawi, which was the word that they often use to, to refer to a, uh, to a follower of Jesus. And so I am a Nasrawi and I, I, you know, uh, I'm a pastor mm -hmm. And um, and also a minister and an academic like yourself, but I would uh, I would you know say that there is a degree of exclusivity and inclusivity when it comes to how um, my understanding of my faith, which is you know being a Nasrawi or a follower of Jesus, relates to my culture as an African and as a person of African descent. And I would say this is the same for all uh, people, uh, all Christians or all Nasrawis, no matter what culture there are. That there's a degree to which there's a degree to which their their being in Nasrawi uh, will will reject uh, their own culture and even what their ancestors did, um, you know, prior to knowing Jesus. And there's also a degree to which it will embrace at the same time. And I would argue that that all of one or the other is not is not healthy uh, spiritually and is not Jesus's vision for how. Uh, Nasrawis are meant to live in their embodied, racialized, cultured uh, selves in the in the tradition of their of their great cloud of witnesses or of their ancestors. And so, you know, even in the way that I that I've seen that happen, you know, when I when I look at when I look at you know, for example, like Shenouda 
or 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 Tekla Hymeno, and I see them just completely rejecting their their ancestry uh, and their traditions, like mummification is bad, don't do it, or or you know uh, like you know venerating or or incorporating the trees in in spiritual worship is bad, don't do it. I I, I get get uncomfortable with it, um, and in the same way that I get uncomfortable with the way as an African American that I've experienced this similar kinds of rejection in the African American church of any kind of African spirituality is bad, it's demonic, stay away from it. I get uncomfortable with that because uh, first of all, we, there's a lot of European <laughs> spirituality all over Western Christendom and we don't question that. So what's on there with Easter and, and Christmas hey, tree? Stuff, you know? and, and, and so, you know, I, I get uncomfortable with that, but then on the- Isn't today, isn't today, uh, isn't today Thor's day? What, what you said, like, and so you know, we, and we don't even question that. But then, all of a sudden, if, if an indigenous Christian wants to have like a, a a smudging or sweat lodge, or if an African Christian wants wants to, you know, venerate the ancestors or pour out libations as a as, then it's like, oh no, no, you can't do that. And so I I get uncomfortable with it uh, if, if if it's complete rejection. But I also get uncomfortable if there are ways in which African traditional religions. Uh, teach things or teach practices that are contrary to the bisrot or the gospel of Jesus Christ and to the teachings of scripture. And so that's why for me, I would say that there, there is a, both a rejection and an embrace of, of African traditional culture that needs to both happen simultaneously. Uh, and that's what I, and, and, I, and, I, and where I see that in ancient African Christianity uh, is uh, for me an encouragement to that. But again, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on, on that again, of just like, you know, are these, are these compatible? Well, I think on the side of African traditional religions and indigenous religions, um, the, the compatibility is not an issue. It's on the side of um, Christian proselytizers, some Christian mm -hmm. evangelists, I mean, who, uh, who want to demonize and vilify, right? Mm -hmm. Besides African spirituality and African mm -hmm. and so forth. But I like how you frame the, the you know, the, the three, you know, one, there's inclusivity uh, and then two, there's rejection. Right. And then three, um, there's selective appropriation. Right. Um, and, and all of that happens simultaneously in Africa and the African diaspora. And so which is why for me, the conventional and doctrinal statements are ideological. Right. They're not necessarily what people do and how they live experientially and existentially on the ground, right? And so, you know, one of the times um, I'm in Ghana and I'm leading um, the project that you mentioned, right? There's a, a master's program mm -hmm. there in national studies. And so we're at one of the, we're at one of the Ga Manche, right? One of the kings of the Ga people, right? We went to go see him and visit and so forth. And we did the traditional thing, right? We brought him drinks and, and so forth. They were kind enough to let us sit in on one of their council meetings and we did that. So one of my students whose heritage is from Eritrea, he was Muslim, right? He said, wow, I need to go make, I need to, I have to go pray, right? It was, it was time, it was a Friday afternoon, of course, right? Juma, right? The guy Manche, who was Roman Catholic, right? Roman Catholic, but also he's a traditionalist. And he couldn't be a God Manche if he wasn't traditionalist, right? Because of the, the rituals and the what's involved in that office of maintaining the integrity, culture, and spirituality of the God kingdom and the God people, right? And so he says, oh, no problem. There's a masjid on the premises of the palace. Oh, what makes a lot? 
he didn't he, he didn't bat an eye. He didn't skip a beat. Here's a here's a traditional God king, who's a Roman Catholic, telling a Muslim student, "Fine, we have a mosque on the premises on the, on the palace of the God kingdom, right? In a in, in uh, I think this is a uh, uh, right in a crop, right? Go pray." Mm-hmm. And so, like you said, and you mentioned when you said when Ptolemy came and they said, "Hey." No problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you all have our men. We have Zeus. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this 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 dynamic is the case. And so where you see uh, outright rejection and clashing and so forth, right? It's always on the level of doctrine and theological confession, right? And in other words, for me, it's it it's it, it's on the level of kind of a theo politic, if you will, right? A theological politic, which is attempting, right, to create and preserve and maintain a distinctive religious identity vis-a-vis other people. So when mm-hmm. that is occurring, that's when you see tension, <laughs> right? That's mm-hmm. when you see tension, right? When that dynamic is, is, uh, is, is happening. Yet at the same time in the African world, this constant selective appropriation, right? And so you know, among among the Ashanti who are who are both Protestant and Roman Catholic, right? Um, uh, basically, um, uh, Jesus becomes an Ohene, a king, right? Mm-hmm. And he becomes the center of their traditional uh, festivals that would be normally for the traditional um, um, Ohene or Santa Hene, right? In 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 that particular culture, so you do see selective appropriation and even hermeneutics, right? Where yeah, Jesus is the Son of God. Absolutely, right? Or uh, 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 begotten of God for our redemption and salvation, right? But uh, Jesus is also the master of initiation. Jesus is also the great ancestor. Jesus is also the elder, right? And so in other words, they begin to apply, hermeneutically, they begin to apply indigenous African categories into their understanding of Jesus. So you see this quite a a bit, right? Emerging out of um, 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 African theology uh, uh, and so forth. And then rituals that are indigenous to 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 uh, um, the spiritual traditions of the people, then get applied to Christianity and so forth, right? And so uh, uh, um, now me, I'm functioning as a traditional healer and priest, right? But now I'm but now I'm a Pentecostal, right? And so I'm going to prophesy, I'm going to heal, I'm going to lay hands on you and so forth, and I'm telling you to leave leave the pagan idolatry alone. Yet Simultaneously, what I have brought into my practice as a Pentecostal pastor, prophesying is what I was doing in the village or in the bush and in various places in Nigeria or Uganda and so forth, right? So I, I think the, 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 there is tension and outright rejection exclusivism, right? But I think that comes more out of the theopolitics than it is the lived spirituality of people. And also for me, this is this is I, I I've been saying this for some time. A lot of what American Christian communities reject in terms of indigenous spirituality is rampant throughout the Bible. And so for me, I have argued for 30 years or more that Christianity must be taken out of this Western Eurocentric casing that is in and resituated in the worldview that it came from, 
right? The people of ancient Judea, they were traditionalists. They were farmers. It was an agrarian culture. When Jesus is born, the Bible says that Mary and Joseph go to the temple. They take a fowl and they make a sacrifice, right? A fowl, something that still goes on today when a child is born and so forth, right? Not only that, but even, look, I'm up, even the midwifery practices and postpartum practices. I'm up one night reading, I can't remember what it was, maybe it's numbers, right? It's a ritual described for what a woman does after she delivers a baby and she has to cleanse herself, right? Verse by verse, verse by verse by verse. I show this right to my wife who is a God, who's an Aga and a Khan woman from Ghana, right? Oh, it's identical to what we do. In fact, when my oldest child uh, was born, right? Not my oldest, but my oldest child, um, my oldest child now, because I have two sets of children, right? Don't want to get into that, but my eight-year-old, right? When she was <laughs> when she was born, right? Oh, we were with Lynn to like, oh, what I'm gonna do, right? Because you don't know how to do what we do after a woman gets birth, right? Alone and behold, we, we had a Nigerian friend, right? So a woman came to birth. And basically what she did with our child is what's in numbers. It's the same practice. I took a, I took a group to see the Dead Sea Scrolls exhibit um, when it was here in Los Angeles, um, back in maybe 215, 216, a group asked me that, would I lead the tour there? So I did, you know, I studied Dead Sea Scrolls in seminary, um, with the leading Dead Sea Scrolls uh, scholar, Dr. James Sanders, right? So I said, sure, no problem, right? Um, again, my, my wife, who's not a scholar, who's not a historian, in fact, she'll say to me, okay, that's enough. <laughs> I'm tired, okay, let's talk about something else, right? She walks up into the Dead Sea Souls exhibit, and everything in the exhibit, she identifies. In fact, she draws a crowd around her. She says, oh, we use, she look at each artifact, oh, we use this for this. Oh, that fan is used for this. Oh, those pots we used, we put it in the ground, we stick it here. This is what we do, right? She began to interpret all of the artifacts that was in that exhibit from the first, second century BCE or AD, right? Why? Because of the, the analogous nature between the two cult, between the culture, right, of the ancient Hebrews and living traditional um, African spiritual traditions today, right? And so I, I, I think, uh, for instance, you know, there was a lot of controversy, not so much what helped me out uh, back, he was an AME pastor, Jamal Bryant, right? It was on the internet, right? A lot of Christians were smudging, right? Mm -hmm. I'm listening to, 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 to uh, uh, Reverend Brown saying, wow, don't you know there's a smudging recipe and ritual in mm -hmm. Exodus? It describes how to make incense, what plants, what medicine is using, what herbs, how to put it together, when to burn it, and so forth. So like a lot of what we've been socialized to believe that is evil and demonic, and that is contrary to Christianity, it is not, it, maybe it's contrary to uh, a puritanical Calvinist <laughs> Christianity that we were introduced to, right, in, you know, during the transatlantic slave, maybe it's contrary to that, right? Mm -hmm. But to the indigenous cultures out of which out of which Christianity was produced, right? There's not there's the new moon festivals, 
right? My goodness, the way the temple uh, was constructed. You can go on and on, all the Levitical codes, my goodness. Mm -hmm. First fruits, festivals. This is all traditional culture. So, you know, this is why uh, uh, he helped me out, uh, Vince, the, the famous, he was enslaved. Uh, his name come. He was enslaved. Uh, became free. Became an abolitionist all throughout Europe. Equiano, a lot of right. Mm -hmm. Read Equiano's story, right? He says he said he picks up the. He's an Igbo. It was Igbo, right? He says, mm -hmm. and he's like, "Whoa, this is Igbo culture." Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So, my, so what what bothers me? is when African American or other African descended Christians from the continent diaspora will demonize certain aspects of African traditional religion and at the same time praise the same practice in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Demonize mm -hmm. ancestors, but clearly there is ancestral invocation and there's ancestral recognition. The whole tradition is ancestral. I am the God of who? I am the God of Isaac and this ancestral lineage from the, the transfiguration. Jesus takes the disciples to the mountain and the Bible says that Elijah and Moses appear, two ancestors. The disciples ask him, the disciples ask him in, I think it's in Matt or Mark, they ask him, should we build shrines, Jesus? They use that word. Should we build shrines to Moses and Elijah? Jesus says, no, it's okay. Right, but and then and somebody said, well, of course they won't say it's, no, it's okay because that's not what Christians do. No, the, the, the issue is why would they ask that in the first place? Because that was a common practice in the culture. You build shrines to the ancestors, right? Mm -hmm. And when a child is born, you go to the temple to make an offering and a sacrifice. That's why mm -hmm. it's in the Bible. When Stephen was assassinated in Acts, how they replace Stephen? The Bible said they cast lots divination, like Yoruba divination or Khan divination or the divination I was introduced to through my Sudanese Nubian brothers and sisters. They, they have a form of Karishal divination too that's ancient in the Sudan, right? And so the Bible says that Stephen was replaced through the casting of lots. So why demonize that from the pulpit and, and condemn uh, African spirituality, right, to the pits of hell and then at the same time, you preach that same practice and don't really have an understanding of, of, of what it is or where it comes from. And so, mm -hmm. so I think there would be more symmetry between African Christians and African Christian religion if we take it out of that Eurocentric bag that it's in and put it in the worldview that produced it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, again, I mean, I, I agree with a lot of what you were saying. Um, and, you know, uh, if you know we we just have a few more minutes so if we could both um you know kind of briefly uh you know kind of maybe even summarize what we've been saying and close with like some final thoughts and I, i'll go first and i'll let you uh, kind of close this out uh with final thoughts and um and you know as we've been talking about this about how christianity when it first came to the african continent uh how it engaged with the indigenous religions um and then also kind of like how you know what is our perspective theologically uh you know as well on how should that what the, what should that relationship look like? Um, you know, uh, I, kind of as we close and reflect on it, I wanted to ask, and and I'm sorry, this is a little bit off the cuff, so I hope it's okay. But we didn't talk about this one, but just as kind of a closing thought, if, and I'll go first. But if you could think of um, 
maybe an example uh, to, to keep our, use, continue to use our historical, uh, uh, you know, kind of expertise. Um, if you can think of an example, even in history, where you have seen um, the the kind of synthesis uh, being practiced, like maybe in a specific person or place or, you know, an example of what of the kind of synthesis that you envision would be the best for uh, people of African descent uh, in terms specifically on how to embody and and hold together African traditional religions and Christianity uh, in the right way, in what you understand to be the right way of holding those things together. Maybe you could give a just close with a quick, uh, specific example of what that has looked like in history. Um, and I'll, I'll go. I'll go first because again, as I mentioned, um, my uh, again, I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, you know, I do think that uh, that there's a lot of hypocrisy in the way in which uh, Western Christendom is often very syncretized, and we we saw it on full display in January, where we saw the, one of the best or biggest, and I don't mean best in a good way, but where we saw one of the most accurate uh, depictions of, of idolatry, of Western so-called Christian or Western pseudo-Christian idolatry when the uh, white supremacist American nationalists uh, who dared to invoke the name of Jesus and the image of the cross stormed the Capitol building in January. So, so Western Christian syncretism and idolatry is alive and well, and it always <laughs> has been and and there's a whole lot of hypocrisy uh and and nothing honestly uh nothing you know frustrates me more than that uh you know i start with that saying that uh, and i also agree with you that that african spirituality on the other hand has been ostracized more than it should be i will i will say that as a nasrawi and as someone who believes uh in the authority of the bible as the word of god and also that grace by, uh, grace by faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to fullness of life and salvation. And he is the only one worthy of our worship, uh, worthy of our praise and worthy of our uh, of our prayers that uh, that that because I believe that there are some some African indigenous traditions and practices that I can't get down with that I can't rock with. But at the same time, there are a lot of aspects of African spirituality in our ancestry that has been over rejected. Um, not only by the dominant white culture, but even by our people, uh, no, frustrates me as well. And and so I think my vision of what it should look like as people of African descent and who are followers of Jesus, uh, who are Nasrawi, it would be again, uh, it, it would be looking like um, living according to the the Bisrat, the gospel, and living according to biblical principles, and and doing so in a way that is uniquely African and and embraces every aspect of the unique way that African people have been made in the image of, and I'm gonna use the, the Nubian word for God, that we've been made in the in the image of Tilla in uniquely African ways and for us to embrace that uh, in ways that are in line with scripture. So a historical example of what that looked like for me um, is actually, I wanna point out Georgius of Sagla. And I'm actually, you know, I'm working with him a lot right now because I'm working on a translation of his uh, Mashafa Mystir or his book of mystery. But, but Georgius of Sagla, um, is was a uh, late 14th and early 15th century Ethiopian writer, and he actually, I, honestly, uh, you know, I, by you know by what by the evidence I'm aware of, he's the actually earliest um, sub-Saharan African author who is actually identified positively in a in a particular in a specific written text. Uh, of course, there's is an, an old Nubian text in sub-Saharan Africa before that. I don't know of any that have a positively identified author. And so by some counts, he, he, he can rightly be considered the earliest known sub-Saharan African author. He wrote a systematic theology of the, or a hymenote, I should say, of the hymenote or the theology from an Ethiopian perspective and covering 
various topics of the gospel. And he's clearly an orthodox, or I want to use the Ethiopian for that too. Uh, he is a he is a retit uh, uh, Nasrawi, a, an orthodox Christian to use the Western. Uh, he, he holds to you know the Shalus or the the Trinity, so to speak, and he holds to the authority of 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 the Sahaf or the Bible, the Scriptures. Um, but he does so in in a way that is uniquely Ethiopian and uniquely mm -hmm. African in two fundamental ways that I want to quickly say. Number one is that, uh, as we know, uh, but just for some of our listeners, part of the reason we don't hear a lot about the Ethiopian and the Nubian and the Egyptian church is because they embrace a particular doctrine, as, as uh, Brother Salim mentioned, uh, uh, there was particular creeds uh, that were framed in the dominant Roman church that were not agreeable to the dominant church now, Valley, and they rejected Western Christianity. And mm -hmm. that's... And they to this day, and that's part of why we don't hear about them. And so he, or he, he conceives of of a of a so-called creed, or he writes out a, a a doctrine of or a hymenote of the Christian faith, but he does so on his own Ethiopian terms, and he actually boldly rejects Western European Christianity. So there's no sense of needing to defer to how Christianity is being framed in a dominant Western gaze. And then the second last thing I want to say is he also he also carefully and biblically. Um, it lifts up traditional African practices that were in Agazi or Ethiopia um, that that are in line with Scripture. So again, he would reject uh, he would reject the traditional practice of worshiping the sun or worshiping the moon. But he at the same time uses sun imagery. And I actually just put this on Facebook a translation I did on Facebook. I saw it. I saw it. You saw it. I was so moved by it because he at the same time. He places the sun and the moon un, uh, under the leadership and lordship of Jesus Christ. But at the same time, he he talks about and he he venerates the sun. He doesn't worship, but he venerates the sun and the moon and and talks about how they in turn give glory to the Lord Jesus Christ in such mm -hmm. a way. And I visited and I'm sure you've seen as well. I visited some of the ancient churches in Agazi or Ethiopia mm -hmm. uh, and even icons right next to the Trinity or right next to icons of Jesus and Mary, seeing icons of the sun and the moon. And we know from some of the early Azana stela with some of the sun imagery on his coins, the numismatic evidence and stela, that sun and moon veneration or well before Christianity worship uh, was a big thing. But even though he rejects it to a degree, he also still embraces it and does not feel beholden to Western uh, Christian gaze. And so, you know, Georgius in that respect would be a great historical example of my sense of what it looks like to be uh, to be an African follower of Jesus. Well, you know what, you know, you you uh, I, I have two things in my mind, and, and you certainly know more about um, Ethiopia and Axum. Of course, I, I I deal with it, but my my specialization is 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 the Sudan and Egypt, right? Uh, Coptic and, and, and the Nubian Church. Yeah, you know, I have a I, I, I got a book on the match. In fact, I have it here. The, the magical religious and healing practices in the Ethiopian church, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, the Daptara, right? Mm -hmm. the Daptara, yep. of course. Yep. Yep. And, and I've been, but I only, I only spent like a couple of days in Ethiopia, right? And so I have, I didn't, when I went, you know, I, I was on a transfer flight and I said, I always want to see it. So let me, let me stop and, 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 and see it. And, and I, I primarily I was in Addis. I was in Addis. I didn't get a chance to see Lalibela and, and, and some of the other things and so forth. But what I saw was astounding to me. Mm. And 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 I mentioned Adaptara because in reading it, and then one of my friends who visited, um, close friend who visited and was there for some time, he said, and I said, you know, I read that. He said that the, the, the traditional healer 
right, has been integrated to the church, right, in a way that compatibility and symmetry and mm -hmm. not denying the knowledge of traditional uh, uh, Ethiopian medicine and healing practices and so forth. So mm -hmm. I, that is um, a model. I like what you said about the fact that he, he was not restricted by the Western theological constructions, right? Mm -hmm. and, 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 and oftentimes, even here, we, you know, I, 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 you know, I teach at Payne Theological Seminary as an adjunct. I started teaching pastor mm -hmm. was 29, 1998, mm -hmm. right? University of Laverne. And I used to say, look, we have the power and the authority to reinterpret tra tra tradition from mm -hmm. the perspective of our own cultural standpoint. All people have done that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We, we, we don't have to limit ourselves. Right to Calvin and Wesley and Luther and John mm -hmm. Knox and Smith and the Reformed tradition. Yeah, the responsibility to do that. And so, the example you cite, I think, is important. Um, and then for me, you know, the the, the tradition of the Daptara and its relation to the church and still maintaining that that office and those practices. And mm -hmm. I mean, there's countless texts I've you know just in the Coptic tradition. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, when I read the Apothigmata Patrum, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. These are the Desert Fathers. Um, look, I mean, you've seen this, Vince. You know, there's a story where one of the one of the monks, the abbots, a crocodile comes and grab a kid. Mm -hmm. He stands at the, the at at the at the banks, makes the sign of the cross, <laughs> and goes and brings the crocodile back in the child. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. um, and there's other things that 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 they're doing and so forth. So I I think that the Nile Valley tradition is an excellent um, beginning point mm. in terms of how this looks when it functions, you know, at its best and so forth. Right now, mm -hmm. for me, I don't do exclusivist Christology. Mm. Right, and and. For me, based on my research, that was not the intent of the gospel from my perspective. Mm. I think it's far more inclusive and open. I think it was an invitation to experience our divinity, the nature of the divine with, with, with us. And as a result, create a egalitarian just society, right? As we, as we recognize who we are in relation to the cosmos, the universe, or God, or whatever we, whatever we want to use. I, 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 I think that was the, the, the fundamental message. And I think also, just based on my, again, as a historian, that there were competing visions um, in the early church about Christology and about, I, I know we don't got time to get into all of that, right? So I have tended to uh, affirm that diversity and that pluralism in terms of various communities that were debating about who Jesus was and so forth, right? And so of course, I come out of the Claremont tradition, right? So uh, um, the, the Nagamati was a big deal, right? In the Nagamati codices, you know, I, I, I studied with James Robinson and, and Richard Smith and engaged. And so, and I know for, for some Christian communities, Nagamati is extra canonical. Right? I, I get that. 
right? Mm -hmm. But I still think historically, it represents the plethora of voices that were in the early Christian church. Because of that, that should be paid attention to as well, right? Mm -hmm. that, 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 and, and you see all the symbolism of ancient Kemet or ancient Egypt, right? In many of the um, uh, texts of, uh, of Nagamadi, right? Um, mm -hmm. So probably the most famous, the Gospel of Thomas, right? Mm -hmm. um, which without without a doubt is not pushing an exclusivist um, um, Christology and so forth. And so I I, I don't think early um, African Christianity was functioning in a way that was exclusive. I think it was open. But yet politically, I think it was. I think it had to draw lines. I think it had to draw lines. It had to demarcate set itself vis-a-vis -vis the, the larger society. And it wasn't always like paganism, right? I, I, it was also political because, I mean, the who, who was pagan? Emperors, <laughs> all the, 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 the governors, the counselors, the legislators, and so forth, right? And so I think that it was also, um, um, it was also a political statement as much as it was theological, right? Um, and then, you know, for me, it's another one, I'll be quiet, uh, as a temporary source, um, the late Albert Cleach, mm -hmm. founder of the China Black Madonna. Mm -hmm. Like what he's done in his Christology with, with their founding of the Pan-African Orthodox Church and so forth. So mm -hmm. but this has been this has been good. Uh, great dialogue. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh. Great dialogue, great conversation. Um, yeah. appreciate the opportunity and the invitation. Oh man. No, I, I hope we can do it again. And I I feel like honestly. Uh, man, we could just consider keep just geeking out and and just chopping it up like for hours. But but yeah, we do. Uh, we 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 reached our time, and so uh, again, I just want to uh, thank you, Dr. Ferzi, for being here today. Uh, thank you so much. Um, and uh, and actually, before we close, could you quickly share with the audience about just ways they can connect with you and follow your work, and just anything you'd like to just share uh, before we uh, before we sign off? Well, I, I am on Facebook. Uh, my my name is Salim Faraji. Um, so you can, you know, contact me via, uh, via Facebook and I've been working on a number. I was just telling a colleague, I've been working on a number of, uh, uh projects over the pandemic that, that are on the horizon. Um, I co book the origin of the word, Amen, ancient knowledge, the Bible's never told back in six. And so the second edition of that book is being released. Um, it should be, um, before uh, the end of the month, uh, origin of the word, Amen. Um, the website and the book and so forth will be out. And then I've, I've been working on some other projects, not directly pertaining to this topic, um, but I, I wrote a, a piece on ancient Kush during the um, second intermediate period in ancient Egypt. Another piece, which is just completely fascinating to me, I've, I've been, in, been on this topic for a while, is that the construction of earthen pyramids or tumuli in ancient Nubia um, and how that practice stretched across the Sahel into West Africa. So many people don't know there's thousands of tumuli or mounds, earthen pyramids, right? They're all synonymous. Thousands in Senegal, Gambia, yep. Mali, Northern Ghana, Northern Nigeria, right? And so mm -hmm. I just wrote a piece uh, on that. I submitted it to um, a journal, so I've been working on that. So I've been working on a number of historical um, uh, projects, um, you know, during the past, you know, year, 14, 15 months or so. Oh, man. Well, that's definitely y'all uh, continue to uh, follow Dr. Farrazee. 
his work and again uh you know connect with the brother and 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 again this i think this will definitely not be the first time uh we connected you here on the jew three project so again thank you so much for being here brother thank uh, you for having me yeah blessings to you amen blessings to you brother all right um well and thank you all again for tuning in for another episode of the Bisrot podcast uh, and uh, it is such a great um, honor and, and, and blessing to be here. And I hope that you were encouraged on today, uh, even to be able to see, um, you know, people from even different, uh, similar, but also different traditions to be able to have respectful and cordial dialogue. Uh, the Drew Three Project is all about helping you to know what you believe and why, uh, but also uh, trying to model uh, graceful and loving uh, apologetic and, and evangelistic conversations. So, um, so thank you again for tuning in and uh, we will be back with you uh, for our next episode. But again, uh, until then, uh, God bless you and uh, we will see you later. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the BizRock Podcast with Dr. Vince Bontu, sponsored by the Jew 3 Project. Remember to rate and subscribe wherever you stream your favorite podcast. And remember, if you want to help support the mission and vision of the Jew 3 Project to help black Christians know what they believe and why through this podcast or other avenues, you could do so by going to Jew3Project.org and hitting that donate tab to give by mail or to give online. Every gift helps equipped and we're so thankful for your support and your prayers. We appreciate you. And until next time, grace and peace and God bless.